you've gone from having the phone ring with all these you know people who you work with all the people in your industry who you spend time with and the day you sell the business the phone stops ringing and you get really lonely and you start whining about the buyer and how terrible they are and all the horrible things they've done to your business which is what you're going to believe no matter who you sell to yeah so if you're going to sell your business to a third party my advice always is go for the dollars because you're going to hate what they do anyhow you my friend oh i pointed the wrong camera damn it ah. don't edit that out you my friend are listening to mike up in your business and guess what this is gonna be the best episode ever or maybe not we'll see we haven't recorded it yet this episode i interviewed josh patrick he talks about selling your business i got very excited about this because i think so many entrepreneurs intend to sell their business but they don't do any work around it. And Josh tells you exactly what to do. So listen on in. <laughs> Talk about flaunting. You got a brand new book out there, I Sale do. Ready Company. Yes. What took you so long to write this? Because we've been waiting. We, the consumer, has been waiting for a book like this. Um, um, particularly written the way you did, where it's, it's fable-based. What inspired you to write it? Um, well, it was a not natural extension of my first book. Yep. And uh, the, you know, the, it, it's an issue that people come up with. And the stuff I put in the book uh, are things that every family business faces is, are the kids good enough to take over the business? Are they the right people to take over the business? Can I afford to sell the business to them? Should I sell them the business? Should I give them the business? Should I sell the business to a third party? Right. Is the business ready to be taken over? How am I going to train the child to take over my business? Who should supervise it? These are all questions that um, every parent asks themselves along the way if they're going to transfer the business to the kids. And it's actually the same question that parents, I mean, that owners will ask if they're going to transfer the business to their managers. Mm -hmm. You know, any internal transition has basically the same questions that need to be answered, the same process that goes you need to go through. There's a success path of getting your of going having a sustainable business, which is for you to a sale-ready company, which is for somebody else. And okay, well, I, well, I want to know some of those questions. Like, what? Because I'll tell you, Josh, when when I do presentations, I will haphazardly survey the audience, saying, um, "Who wants to sell their business, or who who expects?" That's probably the right, the right words. I say, "Who expects to sell their business?" And every hand goes up. Like that's the big exit, and I'm like, reality is you're not. Yeah, fifty so, percent of businesses they get listed never get sold. Which ones, get, oh my god, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a relatively small number. First of all, sale ready means somebody else would want to own your company. Okay. And well, the twenty eight million businesses in the United States, how many have excess cash flow? Maybe a million. Maybe. Yeah. If that. Yeah. I mean, that's your realm is, you know, profit first and creating excess cash in the business. And it's really not a very big number that ever does that. Now, the other side of the ballpark is if you ask a business owner what their business is worth, they're going to typically tell you it's worth three to five times what it's really worth. So then we have to have a reality check to say, here's what your business is really worth. And if it's worth a million dollars, which means you're making about $200,000 a year, not many businesses have $200,000 above salary, you don't get to keep a million dollars and invest it. 
you get to keep about five or six hundred thousand dollars to invest it because you got to pay taxes and you're going to have fees to sell the darn business. Yeah. I, you know, I, I want to talk about oh, Go ahead. Well, you got something else to say? Say it, bro. Yeah. So if you got six hundred thousand dollars, that translates to about twenty four thousand dollars in annual cash flow. If your business was making two hundred thousand, I can guarantee you're not living on twenty four thousand dollars a year. Yeah, yeah. I, I hear you. I want to talk about uh, emotional inflation, right? So I think my company is worth millions and it's just me and it's a little consulting firm. And you said that's not what it's really worth. H- how do I get to determine what my company really is worth? Well, it's, you know, the, the, the simple thing is take your uh, free cash flow, otherwise known as earnings before interest tracked as depreciation and amortization. Make adjustments for how much you're overpaying yourself. Add that in there. Subtract all the stuff that the business is paying for. That's really lifestyle expenses. Multiply that between three and six times, and you'll know what your business is worth. Oh my God! You just, I didn't know there was a formula. I, I thought I thought it was much more of a of a art where there's negotiating and the buyer throws out a low number. I throw out a high, and then it's back and forth. I want to get multiple bidders. I, I thought it was a game of emotion. Well, if you really want to sell your business and your business is actually really saleable, meaning you have cash flow of four or $500,000 a year, you can probably attract a, an investment banker who knows how to do what's called a structured auction. And if you get a structured auction, then you're putting several buyers into the uh, buying realm at the same time. You might get six, seven, eight times cash flow instead of three to five times. But you have to have a much better business, a much bigger business. The bigger the business is, the higher the multiple, because the more predictable the business is, and buyers want predictability. Okay. So so size translates to predictability? Yes. I thought also uh, size is a plug-in. I, I sold one of my companies, and they just wanted to plug us into the P&L uh, to show another quarter of increased P&L. Um, and I, I, in retrospect, too, they, they were saying it was a strategic acquisition that the bottom line numbers didn't matter as much as that they were adding a new division to their company and bumped their P&L. When, when people buy a sale-ready company, is it is it always by the numbers? Is there other reasons to buy? What should we be planning for? There's tons of reasons to buy people buy businesses. Okay. Sometimes it's a strategic reason. Sometimes it's your competitor. They can make over, all your overhead disappear. So, for example, when I sold my food service and vending company, I sold to a competitor. If it was a financial transaction, the price they paid would have been five times EBITDA. Mm-hmm. And it ended up being 2.2 times EBITDA because I knew much, how much overhead was going to disappear the minute they bought the business. So instead of taking five years to pay for the business, they were going to pay for it in a little bit more than two years. I see. Because what I'm hearing is they're taking the revenue from your company, they're getting rid of some of the costs because they can replace that. So that increases the profit margin. They use that money to pay you back or pay back the pay back the loan or or in this particular case, they just took cash out of their pocket and bought it. So back so back to their pocket to refund their pocket. Okay. Right. So all right. So what are the steps that someone can start taking today, regardless of the business they're in, to start positioning themselves for sale? Like what are the common steps I could take? Well, the first thing you do is create a sustainable business. Without that, you don't have anything. And and there's four steps to doing that. One is having clear, having a very clear view of what your purpose and your, um, what your core values are. Put a clarifying statement around those core values so people know what you're about. 
your employees know what you're about, your customers know what you're about, and your suppliers know what you're about. Second thing is make yourself operationally irrelevant from the business. If you're key in the business, the buyer's not going to want you because they want your business. They don't want you, even yeah. though they're going to say, I want you. Well, why do they say? Because that's what that's what they said when we're buying our company. We want you. Is that is that a game to get yeah, the it's a game? It's okay. a game. They want the seller there's, engaged. If there's a good business for sale, there's always more buyers out there. And one of the games that they play is you're going to get somebody call you up one day and say, I want to buy your business. So you're very flattered. You never had that happen before. Say, wow, you're going to buy my business. Then they say to you, we would like to have exclusive rights for next year, which means you are now only allowed to talk to them. And if you fall for that, you're a fool. Yeah. So if somebody calls you up and they say, I want to buy your business, the first thing you do is you go out and you hire yourself an investment banker to represent you. And you get out of the way and let the pro come in and do it. The pro will never let you allow to um, sign an exclusive arrangement with anybody. Okay. Third thing you want to do is have a recurring revenue stream. It's, again, it's repeatable sales that are important. If you own a contracting company, you're likely never going to make a third-party sale because nobody wants to buy you. They want to buy something that's predictable. What you can do with a contractor is sell to your key people or your kids. Okay. So you can sell the business, but it's not the way you thought you were going to sell the business. So do you have a recurring revenue stream? Then finally, and these are things which are all dear and near to your heart, Mike, which is you have to systematize your business. Right. A buyer wants the systems that your business runs with. They want your managers. They don't want you. And then if you do all this stuff right, you're going to create enough excess cash, which we call filling the four buckets of profit. And that's lifestyle, emergency fund, a fully funded growth program, and a fully funded retirement program. Because as we just talked about, your business is not going to get you to retirement all by itself. If you do those four things and those four buckets are filled, you have created enough excess cash where you've made your business attractive to somebody else. Mm. But that's only the that's only the economic side. Okay. And then there's the personal side, which is, okay, you're going to sell your business. Here's what happens to you the day you sell your business. And you've experienced this. I've experienced it. You lost your entire social network overnight. Yeah. Sure. So you've gone, you've gone from having the phone ring with all these you know, people who you work with, all the people in your industry who you spend time with, and the day you sell the business, the phone stops ringing. And you get really lonely, and you start whining about the buyer and how terrible they are and all the horrible things they've done to your business, which is what you're going to believe no matter who you sell to. Yeah. So if you're going to sell your business to a third party, my advice always is go for the dollars because you're going to hate what they do anyhow. All, <laughs> you're going to hate no matter all, who buys, you're going to hate. I love that. Yeah. All buyers lie. Yeah. You know, they're going to tell you, we're going to not no, sellers lie anything. too. Let's be honest. It's not just one side, right? No, sellers lie too. But but in due diligence, the buyer has a chance to catch the seller's lies. That's true. And if you're smart as a seller, you'll do due diligence on the buyer, especially if you're going to hold paper. And if your business is worth less than a million dollars, you're going to hold paper. So yeah. you better do due diligence on that buyer to make sure they can afford to to, to um, pay you what they promise. And, and they like will. Let's explain what holding paper means for anyone that might not know, including myself. <laughs> it, it means very simply, you're going to become the bank. Right. In other words, I sell my business to you for a million dollars. 
you give me $500,000 down as a down payment, and then you're going to pay me $500,000 over five years. All right, so basically the seller lent you the half that money that you're paying me back now on. Right. I, I granted so, you time. So essentially, you're being the bank when you yeah. have seller financing. So if you're going to be the bank, act like a bank. Yeah. And uh, how do you do due diligence? Listen, I got a small million-dollar company. I That word due diligence is confusing. What what do I do? Well, I want to what – what's the credit creditworthiness of the buyer? Okay. Are they going to pay you back? Do they do what they say they're going to do? You want to get a personal guarantee from them. You want to find out if their personal guarantee has any assets behind it. I mean, if they rent their house and they live in their parents' basement. Stack it with their houses or something like that. Right. Yeah. And and when you sell your business and you're holding paper, you not only want to get a personal guarantee from the buyer, you want a personal guarantee with the buyer's spouse on it. So make it it a marital issue is what you're saying. Well, not a marital issue so much as you don't want to have somebody transferring assets to their spouse and they go say, I've got no money, nothing I can do about it. And you don't have their spouse on the paper. There's not much you can do about it. It's all with Mrs. Josh Patrick. She has it. That's it. What? So, okay. So I want to sell a business. Um, It sounds like based on the kind of structure you outlined is don't have it depend on you have a lot of cash. Once I get to that stage, why would I want to sell a business? It's a it's a money making machine. Most people don't. I mean, this is a little secret. I, I've got. I mean, I tell the story all the time. I sell. I go through the sale ready. Sale ready is not about selling your company. It's about uh-huh. having a company that somebody else wants to own. Yeah. This is a really important point, and it's really important, is that if you work with somebody who can help you create a sale ready company, the Overall chance is once you get there, you're going to say, I'm making too much money. I'm having too much fun. Why would I ever want to sell this thing? Yeah. People usually want to sell businesses because they're in pain, not because it's the right thing for them to do. And they don't know how to fix that pain. So they say, I'll sell it and I won't have the pain anymore. Now, for most folks, when they get to the decision of making a sale. So th- this may be off the radar totally. And they hear his podcast and say, I'm in so much pain, I got to sell it. Is there something that we can do in a very short term, 30 days or 60 days, 90 days? There's something I can do in the short term to at least improve the odds because I am exhausted, I'm done, I want out, but I want to catch some money. Is there anything you can do in the short term or is this something I got to be prepared five, 10 years in advance? You probably have to be prepared a year in advance. Okay. I mean, what you need to do is you need to go and take a hard look at your business and look at all the things a buyer would look at. Mm-hmm. And the things that you grade yourself in A on, you leave alone. The things you grade a B on, they're probably pretty easy to fix. The things that are C's, D's, and E's, you need a story about why that's not important in the first place. Okay. Should yeah, that takes some a- stuff? Should, is it better to have a small, healthy business than a larger, unhealthy business? Meaning, maybe I have products or services that are loss, losing money. Should I, should I vacate those, ditch them? Um, it all depends. Oh, oh yeah, I was I, trying I'm, to corner because whatever you said, I'm like, that's fact. I wrote it down. You're now my representative, and you misrepresented me. So I'm sorry. I hope yeah, your wife. No, it just it just I hope all you depends. hid money with your wife from this thing. <laughs> It all depends. I mean, sometimes, you know, if, if if it's a product that somebody says, gee, I can really take this thing and make it really a big thing, 
then they may not care. But if it's if I'm selling to a private equity group, for example, you better be profitable. Otherwise, they're not going to be interested. They yeah. don't want to. They're not. They're not in the business of fixing businesses. They're in the business of killing businesses so they can sell it to somebody else. But if it's a um, if it's a competitor, maybe I mean it might be. Gee, that's an area I want to be in that I've not been in before. And this person knows what they're doing there, or they think they do. Uh, the truth is, most businesses don't know where they make their money anyhow. Mm. Nor could they help a, a, a buyer figure that out. Now, if you're a an intelligent seller, you're going to have all that stuff figured out because then you can get more money for your business. Mm. The more stuff that you can do and anticipate what a buyer is going to try to kill you on during due diligence. And my belief is due diligence is where they do a check to make sure everything you said is true and to find things that you never told them that they wouldn't want to know about. Yeah. I actually think due diligence is an excuse for a buyer to lower the price. Totally. I, that's my experience. Exactly. Ooh, I mean, it's, it's the story starts building. Ah, we didn't expect that. I, you know, no. I've experienced, I called the high ball, low ball. My acquire came in um, and I've gone through multiple sales, private equity, and also a, a fortune 500. They came in, they said, Oh, you're worth tens of millions of dollars. We're, we're going to give you an LOI letter of intent. We're going to go through due diligence. And then they're going through this. I was emotionally bought into selling this company and they started saying, Ooh, ah, Ooh, over a year's time frame." And they'd exhausted me emotionally and came in with a low ball offer, which we settled near that low ball price. They totally got me hook, line, and stinker. Well, what they did, which was really, and this is, you know, you have to realize many buyers are pros, all sellers are rookies. Oh, I like that. Uh, you have some good phrases there. I've done this for a while, Mike. Yeah, I know. I'm old. I, I'm, I'm 69 years old today. It to me. <laughs> make sure we delete that. Is that, that what you normally do? Is that what you normally do? That's how I make my Josh. How do you think I, I'm not that smart? I just take stuff and like just put it back out there. Don't we all do that? Yeah, we all do. We all do. <laughs> we all do. Um, so that's interesting. So all all buyers are newbies. The uh, other the, the the I'm sorry. All sellers are newbies. All buyers are experts. Um, so I want representative. A representative, you talked about an investment banker. What about alternatives? I'm a small business, maybe an investment banker. That's a big term. Is there other types of people that can help me sell my business besides an ID? There's there's business brokers, but you yeah. want to be careful. Business brokers, and again, the smaller your business is, the worse your represent the worse your representation is going to be. Yeah. I mean, it's really simple. You know, if I sell my business for five hundred thousand dollars, I get a business broker, they charge 10%, they make fifty thousand dollars. Right. If I sell my business for $5 million, my uh, broker or investment banker, because you're right on the cusp there, who you're going to get, is going to make about a quarter of a million dollars. Okay. So the percentage, the percentage dropped from 10 to 5%. Well, it actually, it might go even lower than that, but at 5 million, it's probably going to be about 5%. Yeah. And if it's $100 million, it's about 2%. But that's still $2 million you're going to make on that sale. Yeah. So the, the, the bigger the business, the more sophistication you're going to get for representation and likely the better the representation. The problem with many business brokers is they're really real estate agents in disguise. Okay. And I see this over and over and over again, or they just list your business like it's a house. 
Yeah. Businesses are not houses. Anybody who sells your business like a house, run away from them as fast as you possibly can. I mean, I, I was talking to a guy in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and he was talking to a broker and he wanted to sell his business. His business, he's right on the cusp for an investment banker where they could do a structured auction and get a lot of money for his business. Yeah. If he went with the people that he was talking to, he would have gotten 30 or 40% of what the business was really worth. Yeah, yeah. So was he? did he make the flip? And, and, and does he need to convince the investment bankers to represent him? Because he's on the cusp. He's a little bit small for them. Well, he may hire me to go find him one. So. Oh, that's, that's <laughs> why he may be paying you a quarter million dollars to go shopping. Who do you know, Josh? No, no I don't charge that much, but for that particular work. But. I love it, though. <laughs> you're on your bike just pedaling away. Hey, who do I, you're just working that network of yours, pedaling, pedaling. No, no, no. When I pedal, I don't do anything. I just pedal. <laughs> oh, you have an electric bike? No. No, I have a, I have a regular bike. I don't take my, I don't ever answer my phone when i'm out on a bike ride oh ever. i got you i got you i was conflating i just envisioned you your sister a kickball under your arm pedaling and doing wheels and wheeling and dealing right before your birthday yeah that's what i'm gonna do josh I, the fact you put up with me is a miracle um i consider you a, a friend uh and one of the most intelligent people i know in the business space the book is called the sale ready company where can our listeners where do you want them to go to get your book well um if you would like some, if you'd like to have a free 20 minute conversation, let me buy it from my site, which is www.salereadycompany.com. Or you can buy it at all the places books are Amazon, Barnes and Noble, all that kind of stuff. But if you want to have a free conversation with me and get a bunch of free bonuses, go to our website, salereadycompany.com. Salereadycompany.com. I'm telling you, as a listener, go there first. Josh, I'm not kidding around, is one of the most intelligent people I know in the business space. He will be your guide. And his book is extraordinary. Josh, as always, thanks for letting me bust your chops a little bit. And uh, thanks for being with me for this show. Oh, Mike, thanks so much for having me. It's always fun as, as usual. Josh Patrick is my boy. I'm, I'm truly going to go up to Vermont and visit him. Perhaps unexpectedly, I'll just knock on his door. He'll come out in his underwear. Hey, who, really? what are you doing? Is that gross? Does that sound gross? I, I don't know. I don't know why you would paint that As picture people, for all uh, yeah. of us. And is that how people normally answer the door? Just in well, the underwear? I'm, I'm not. Listen, when I say draw the picture for all of us, I'm I'm saying Amy's wearing tidy whities Like, and it's kind of bunched up in the back a little bit too much. It got pulled a little bit high. Michael. Does your husband wear tidy whities No. Do you, Jeremy? No, I, I, I actually, to be honest, I, I've worn boxer briefs for a very long time. I'm considering switching back to boxers. Oh, okay. I'm a boxer yeah. brief guy myself. But what my about, whole family is whole boxer briefs everywhere. All everywhere. Yeah, boxer briefs are things the way to go. It's so funny. Like you rewind 20 years ago, it was all tidy whities Yeah. And yeah. lots of bleach. We have so much to be grateful for that things right. have changed over the last 20 years. Do people still use tidy whities Like they're still, you walk down Walmart, the, the rows are There's, packed with them. They're there. And all there. Says, it says discounted for Josh Patrick. He's the only buyer left. All right. Here's, here's the question about tidy whities right? Who was working for the marketing department of Fruit of the Loom? And they said, hey, 
let's make them a color that'll show all the stains. I know, right? And get really gross very quickly. We're going. But I, mean, I guess I guess it's genius because they're like, well, hey, they'll go bad. They'll need more, and then People you gotta buy them want, again. Yeah, they gotta yeah. get fresh ones. We're going exactly. white. We're going white right mm-hmm. away. Yeah, that, yeah, it's absurd. I don't know. <laughs> Poor Josh. Um. So <laughs> I know. I feel bad for Josh too. He has this addiction to tiny whiteies. <laughs> thanks for pointing that out. Wow. So, uh, what do you all think about the interview? Oh, he's so wise. Wow. He's so wise. He knows so much. Do you know, again, I hate doing this, but I'm going to confess again, like, honestly, I don't think about entrepreneurs selling their companies. I think entrepreneurs think, yeah, someday I'll just close up shop. I'm not thinking straight. I, there's so much to this. There's so much that has to go on and it's so important to get your company sale ready. I mean, there's potential for you to make a lot of money in this. Totally, totally. Because you are building an asset. You're building something worth, of something of value. And you know, when you hear these big companies, uh, the public companies like Tesla or, or whatever company it is that's public, uh, we all assume one day they're going to be acquired or merged into another company. Something's going to happen with them. It's not like, oh, they're just going to disappear right. one day overnight. The assumption's there, but the surprise is for small business, the owners uh, assume it's going to happen, but they don't start preparing that way. They're like, oh yeah, one day my business will sell. Yeah. But- but they don't prepare and the vast majority of small businesses disappear. So, so you see the big boys doing it and they execute on it. Why not us little players do the same thing? Right. Right. You know, I think a portion of that is, is the fact that you're beholden to uh, your shareholders in larger companies like that. So there's more people. That you have to answer to that you have to work for. Yeah. So they, they are constantly evaluating where the money's going and how it's being spent. And when you're, you know, a solopreneur, you don't, you, you're, and it's you. It falls, it all falls on you. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's true. These shareholders are very critical because they're making an investment. But I think if we act the same way, realize that we're a shareholder of our small business. And plus, listen, truth thing, a true story. I got a text this morning. It's a little bit sad or very sad. Um, we have a problem with our wealth. So we need to get fixed. That's not the sad part. Krista um, reached out and the owner passed away. That's the sad part. Oh. Um, in the last week um, of cancer. Oh. And his staff of 12 other people aren't licensed in this process. So the business is shut down. Oh, and God. I think what's sad is, of course, his passing, but there was no preparation for 12 people. You know, these small businesses, uh, selling a business isn't just about the transfer of money. It's about the sustainment of opportunity for people. Right. Um, so I think it's more than just serving ourselves. It serves our colleagues who are working with us. Yeah. All right. Uh, Jason, please, when you pick your trivia, please do not pick whitey tidy trivia. I mean, if you did, I get it. Cause that's Josh <laughs> exactly. Patrick through and through, but <laughs> that's it. That was the first thing that I picked. I know. All right. Tidy whiteys. <laughs> what else can you talk about? Before you even said anything or mentioned it, or there was no reason to mention it. That was what I had on my He is a penchant yeah. for the tidy whiteys. Yeah. So no, you um you were joking around with him and you, and you mentioned like what he was going to do for his birthday and then you said oh what are you going to play, play kickball later like, <laughs> was that funny yeah so, I, so we got kickball trivia I thought that was good oh, I like that God I poor love busting Josh. his chops and you poor really Josh did. is listening to this right now I know. he's our one listener he's listening <laughs> to this right now and he's like oh my God why do I even put up with this why clown I, Why did I say yes to this invitation Why I would never I would never. If, if I could choose who not to be friends with, I would choose me. I'll make the worst friend. 
Because when I like you, no. I start really, really leaning into busting your chops. Oh, you like me so much. Oh, I love you. I actually <laughs> love you. And that's why I got to try tripping you. You and I got a, a little physical fisticuffs fisticuffs at the water cooler. Yeah. 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 Who, who was it? We did one episode just real quick. And uh, she, th- this woman was like just completely like straight laced, like super nice. And then the first thing you launch into was a talk about nipples. And, and it was like a five minute discussion about nipples. And then you're like, yeah, I feel bad for her. All right. So anyway, because <laughs> <laughs> that was the intro to the episode. It's just nipples. <laughs> I know. It's, I can't remember who it was, but I never <laughs> talked to him again. <laughs> yeah. Oh. What do you got for us? Okay. Kickball. kickball. Yeah, kickball. So uh, which country is uh, kickball the most popular? Mm. Is it South Korea, Sweden, Japan, or the United States? Okay. All of them. Everyone there you listed would take their sports very seriously. Yes. Yeah. Okay. WACA, which is the World Association, wait, the World Association Kickball. Well, I, I forget. I wrote down the acronym wrong. My apologies. I put association twice by accident. Okay. Is it it's World the Perfe- Association of Kickball Athletes or something? That's, yeah, that sounds, that sounds good. That we'll sounds good. We'll yeah. run, roll with that. Um, what, when was, what year was it formed? Because kickball is relatively new, right? Hmm. Oh, so, you, oh, you just did it. You just, you're trying to manipulate our answer here. Hmm. What, no, no, no. I'm just all the, mm, all the day Planting ranges. a seed. Not yeah. really. Oh, okay. <laughs> here are your options. <laughs> Not, okay. 1996, oh. 19, 1997, or 1998. There you go. Really? Uh, kickball. I was playing kickball as a child. I was going to say that too. I can't believe this is it's that late. Mr. Bender well, would throw spinners so fast it would hit you. You're five years old. It'd knock you over and he'd be like, oh, 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 and your head would be split open on the asphalt. <laughs> he's, probably the, he's probably the founder of the Wakas. <laughs> oh, all right. What's next, Jer? Okay, next one. Uh, an official kickball is inflated to one and a half PSI and is 10 inches in diameter. What brand makes the official licensed kickball? Mm. Uh, so there's four options. Mikasa. Esukasa. <laughs> uh, Wilson. Spalding. Or I never know how to pronounce this. Is it Mitri or Mitre? M-I-T-R-E. They're, uh, they make soccer balls. Mm. Okay. I know these. I, do, I don't know who makes it, but the smell of that rubber is just delicious. <laughs> it's, it's like embedded in our brains. Right? Forever, I, I can pick out it? kickball stench. <laughs> yes. I agree. Yeah, the worst is when it gets sweaty and yeah. like, then it's just smells like body odor yeah it's, awful. it's got that kid from mrs jensen's class it's got his bloody nose oh yeah he got it. hit in the face yeah. splatters on it and now you've caught it just and they never it your like face back in the 70s lucky. dude jeremy you're so lucky you weren't alive then nothing was cleaned no, it, no. If it was clean it was clean with blood and sweat that was the cleaning mechanism <laughs> or it. materials lovely spit and spit rub. spit spit and rub spit yeah all right. We okay. should play kickball. We should play kickball. Oh, maybe we will. Yeah. Maybe we will. But, Amy, if you can, buy one. Bloody it up. You got to <laughs> buy a, 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 a faction, whatever brand kickball. Okay. Well, he's got to tell me the answer first, so I know okay, what yeah, I'm looking okay. for. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay. And, and whatever country it's in, we have to fly there to play the game. Oh, okay. 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 I, I, I got right. it. Okay. Okay, now I can go. Okay. 
So which country is kickball most popular? U.S. South Korea. What? Boom, so- South Korea. Oh, no. so sorry. Amy. No. Are you kidding me? No. Did I they remember- get it from us, though? I was running to kick the ball. Mr. Bender threw a spinner. I missed it because it jumped. And he goes, damn it, go to South Korea where everyone plays a sport and learn how to play. So. That's exactly what he did. I love That's how you keep, refer- spit on the ball. you keep referencing this gym teacher that nobody has any Frank idea Bender. who he is. No one knows oh, Frank Bender? I'm cool. sorry, but I feel like I know the man now just from these two he mentions. Wore, so this is Rockley Valley School. He, this again, this is the 70s, but he wore sweatpants that were so awkwardly tight. And as a kid, you even you're even like there's something wrong here, Mr. Bender. Okay, before we started this episode, Mike says, "All right, we're on a time crunch. Let's run through this." And it's just been Tidy Whitey Talk <laughs> and Frank Bender for like the last five minutes. I gotta Google him. I know, I'm yeah. sorry. I know, and we are on a time crunch, so yeah. speed okay, me up. Speed me Next up. One. Okay. Next one. So WACA, the Association for Kickball, was created what year? Ninety six. Ninety six. Ninety eight. <sighs> a little bit later. Oh man! Uh, and then the official kickball uh, was is created by what brand? Spalding. Wilson. It's Mikasa. Uh, what? Or Mikasa Mike- makes China. That's just not even possible. Mikasa. Oh yeah, that is a that is a China brand. M i k a s a. Yeah. That is a China brand. Well, you know. <laughs> where where do you get these questions, by the way? Because these are awesome. Uh, I just. I thought- I, I just thought of what I wanted to know and then research them. Oh, man. Good job, Jer. Good job. Thank you. you did a good job. You did a good Appreciate job. And by the way, I got a screen share for you guys. This is uh, his sweatpants he was wearing. <laughs> that's like literally the tightness of his pants. And I'll tell you, on a guy that's jacked, maybe it's appropriate, but to see this your gym teacher. This was not Mr. Bender. This was not, this this was not, not Mr. Bender. Bender's this is physique. just his pants. This is his pants line. <laughs> His athleisure joggers. Here's the real question. How, within 20 seconds, did you find a pair of tight pants on a guy? Like, is this a mark? Yeah, that's why he's always in incognito mode. He was already shopping. (laughs) That's why I'm connected to incognito. (laughs) All right, my friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mike Up in Your Business. Hope you learned something new, something relevant, and something about whitey tidies. And... I want to invite you to rate this podcast. So go to rateourpodcast.com. Give us an honest rating. We'd appreciate it. Make sure you subscribe too. If you're listening on YouTube, hit that notification bell. Subscribe on your podcatcher and never miss an episode. Thank you for joining us. We are out of here. Wishing you good times. Bye. Bye.